Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Sonia Sly, and you're listening to My Heels Are Killing Me. Now, today, innovation, collaboration, and the cross-pollination of ideas and skill sets are key for those in the creative sector, and the fashion industry is no exception. Now, for many businesses, competing forces can either help or hinder potential growth. In the second part of a panel discussion on the future of fashion, I speak to Belinda Watt, the Head of Fashion at Wycliffe College of Arts and Design, Murray Bevan, the Founder and Director of Fashion PR Agency Showroom 22, and shoe designer Catherine Wilson. I started with Murray and Catherine to talk about their collaborative connection, which is one that's helped both of their businesses to grow. Yeah, Kath and I have actually been working together for... 14. 14 years. Something that we've done in tandem. Um, Catherine's got an amazing product. She's got an idea. She sticks to the idea. I try and package the idea and serve it out to media and, and consumers together. Brand partnerships especially, I think, has been one of those things that's knitted Catherine into a wider community and made her a bit of a, a force. And how has that changed for you over 15 years since you launched your showroom the, yeah, managing those relationships and the intersection of social media with you know, selling product. Well, I suppose in 15 years what we've seen in New Zealand um, is a major change in waves, I suppose, in generations of designers. And I suppose what we've seen with Catherine is this appetite from Kiwi consumers to engage with local and to admire local. And when you ask someone, and especially a celebrity, name your favourite fashion brands, Nine times out of ten, they're not saying Gucci, Balenciaga, etc. They're saying Catherine Wilson, Karen Walker, Augustine, Carlson, Halewood, Zambezi, etc. And that's been great for me because it's put the power back into the hands of Kiwi designers. Although you do have international brands now as part of your showroom, where do you see New Zealand labels sitting alongside in the context of the international brands? I suppose our consumer patterns have become more diverse. People like to shop local as well as they like to maybe sometimes aspire to buy global. When we had Topshop come into New Zealand, some people freaked out and said, you know, it's going to ruin New Zealand designers, etc. Others said, well, if I've got an idea, and my idea is unique, and my customer wants my idea, then we'll be fine, because there's always going to be room for price point, there's always going to be room for different aesthetics, and as our consumer population grows, and I think New Zealand's population is becoming hungrier for fashion and fashion is becoming more relevant to us and we like to be fashionable we like to look good especially guys are trying to look better there's room for everybody and that's an aesthetic thing and a price point thing and an accessibility thing now Catherine with you so 15 years running the business you feel like relationships and having built a solid foundation of those relationships has been important to building your brand. I started what I am doing now because I love shoes. I love the product and it came out of a passion of wanting to do something I love every day. And so you guard that quite closely with every decision you make. The longevity was so important to me because I wasn't just here to make money. You're not in this industry. (laughs) 
if you're out to make a quick buck, you know, you've kind of obviously got a love for what you're doing. And so all the decisions we made from the get-go were around longevity and whether that's um, the partnerships we have, the relationships we build, it's all around making that stick. And if there was ever a temptation to do with any financial reward, it was never considered over something that I see lasting a long time, taking us places, being the right fit, being, you know, like complimenting what we do. How did it start? It was truly came out of what feels right to me, and that still exists 15 years in, in terms of who we sit with and why and where is around that genuine connection and, and whether I can make them proud and whether I'm the right fit for them, and, and it's got that longevity message. So is that more important now than innovation? Absolutely not. I mean, you're not in the right industry if you're not going to innovate either. You know, every show we're doing and every connection we have with the customer, definitely every collection you're bringing out, it's, it's innovation. Otherwise, you get left behind pretty quick. Certain consumers who are loyal to brands, they want their brands to innovate. The thing about innovation, I suppose, is for me, it's being driven by consumers that have got attention spans about that big. So they expect these guys to be moving into a new idea faster. So I talked to uh, Rob Newa, who's the general manager of um, Louis Vuitton down on Queen Street, and he said he's got customers that come in every week demanding something new. Now, for Catherine or other designers, that's very, very tough for us to do unless we just drip feed product in. But yeah, innovation, it's just appetite and it's money and it's, we call it a share of wardrobe. Wardrobe is also becoming bigger in people's share of what they dedicate their time and their money to in their life. Last year, Showroom 22 hit its 16th birthday and Murray wanted to change things up himself. So he was looking for new ways to grow his business and he had all sorts of ideas. We changed premises recently, so I'd always thought about this great place where fashion could live and ideas could live and creativity could live and maybe we bring in a cafe and maybe we bring in a florist and I was going to talk to Jordan at the caker and see if she was going to come and make cakes every Friday morning. So we just wanted more things happening because I think that encourages optimism and ideas and creativity. So what we've created is we've built a photo studio uh, inside our fashion showroom. We've got content creation companies that work within our company. Uh, We've got salespeople from a a brand that we represent who share space. We've got an art director and stylist who also share space. So what we're creating now is clients come to us for one thing and they all all of a sudden get inspired for two or three other uh, maybe layers of their business um, demands or we inspire them to think about something else. Now, in the previous panel, we talked a little bit about the volatility of the industry. And Levi Strauss's Chip Berg has said in an interview that you can't control everything, but what we can control are our actions and how we deploy resources. And so I want to direct that to you, Belinda. What do designers have control over? Sustainability is embedded right throughout the programme at Whitecliffe. What we try and do is encourage designers to think sustainably, to think about new ways to innovate, the importance of understanding, knowing the value chain so that they are aware, the importance of, you know, Murray, I think what you're doing is really interesting because you almost act like an incubator. And then when I hear what you're talking about now, it's creating a new space for some of the key words that have come out today, you know, communication, collaboration, innovation, and fashion is revolutionary. Fashion always has revolutionised. And so I think now, you know, fashion really is in a position to revolutionise again. You know, fashion historically has revolutionised and fashion designers are 
often activists in some form. And so our young designers coming out of Wycliffe or any other design schools, you know, they are the creative thinkers, they are the innovators, they are going to be the change makers. Um, but what is important is to have the knowledge behind you so that you can put new ideas in place. Um, you know, when I talk to you, Maggie, you talk about having strong relationships with your makers and, you know, communicating with them, going with them, sitting with them, understanding the process. You know, that is so so important. And then Kelly, I hear you talking about, you know, um, the, the relationship you have with your customer and your customer being part of your brand. Those kind of communications, I think, are so key and they're so key to getting, getting consumers to be more aware and getting the consumer to think more sustainably, getting the consumer to, you know, want to know that things come from an ethical source, that their fabrics are sustainable or, you know, long-lasting. And also for the designer to design high product in terms of craft and aesthetic value, you know, so they have longevity. You know, and it's longevity in terms of the actual product, also in terms of the business. You know, both sustains the other. And, you know, sustainability is about sustaining, isn't it? So it's sustaining whatever it is that you're making or whatever you're doing. What kind of specific examples can you actually give us in terms of, like, the new ways to innovate and be sustainable yeah, we've had some great trips to India. I've also taken students to the Sustainable Fashion Summit in Copenhagen, um, and they come back with new ideas. But India has had a huge impact in terms of understanding artisanal craft and artisanal value and sustaining craft. I mean, the first time we went to India and our students brainstormed with um, fashion students at Pearl Academy, New Zealand students came from a very ecological, you know, trying to sustain things ecologically, whereas for the Indian students, predominantly what they wanted to sustain was their, sustain was their craft because they have craft. You know, we don't have those crafts. But then that's had a huge impact. And so, you know, now our students... Um, they embed craft and, you know, all sorts of ways. I mean, it's a much slower process. So, you know, there's a lot of natural dyeing and there's a lot of handcrafting and, you know, bringing the value back. So it's the antithesis of fast fashion and it's making a beautiful product. Any beautiful product we have, we want to hold on to, whether it's clothing or, you know, something beautiful in your house. Um, but, yes, no, India has had a huge, um, for those students who have been, I think I've got one graduate out there who did the Masters in Fashion and Sustainability at Whitecliffe. She had a life-changing moment um, standing over a bridge in Pondicherry looking at the pollution and thinking, I don't want to be part of this. So many young designers now and established designers are not being part of that anymore. China, China's doing huge things. They closed down something like, I can't remember whether it was 15,000 companies dye houses last year that used you know bad dyes there's huge change coming in uh, coming in in China in terms of sustainable processes just to follow on from what Belinda's saying and she's actually had some amazing students come through Whitecliffe who've done the sustainability program and one of the things that just hit me like a ton of bricks about a year and a half ago we came in and met some of the students and one of them said I want to do sustainable luxury I thought, okay, that's great, but who's going to understand it and why are you doing that? I think sustainability and ethics and sometimes what we think of is people walking around in Hessian sacks eating brown rice and that's, that's sustainable, ethical fashion. That's changing really fast. Maggie's an amazing example of that. When Hamlin, Harman Grubisher, who graduated from Wycliffe, um, they can create beautiful, very luxurious products in a sustainable way. Yes, the price point... Is, is higher, and you're very lucky to be able to afford that. But it doesn't have to be the case anymore that 
sustainability and ethics means hippy-dippy. It's changing fast, which is great. Um, and buy less, higher price, good quality, hold on to it, you know, yeah, sustain it. I mean, what's interesting is that despite the, the forward shift in thinking towards, you know, being transparent and ethical and sustainable, fast fashion is actually on the rise. What sort of impact ha- has, say, H&M and Zara for you, Catherine, had on how you see fashion in the industry here? I was going to mention about that transparency. That's been really key for us at the other end of Zara and H&M is that we really are big on communicating that to our customers, that all of our shoes are handmade and we have 40 production staff in a room in China. You know, they are all family owned and I go to their house for dinner with, you know, like it's a really personal connection for me. So in terms of it being the opposite end of the scale that, you know, the likes of Zara and H&M, they serve a purpose. They own all the button manufacturing. You know, they own every part of it. You can't compare in terms of the model. I never really look at things as a threat. All our shoes are limited edition. It's part of what we do is that I hand sign everything off, being one of 30, one of 50, one of 200. So it's not something that I feel threatened by them coming into the New Zealand market. I started it up at 22 years old and I'm only able to do what I do because people support me as a brand. So we are all about the community of our customers and whoever's around us supporting our products. So I don't have, there's a real lack of connection that those big brands have. Um, that we're lucky enough to have. But that begs the question then, if someone else was to, you know, a local designer was to come in and start another shoe brand, would you then see them as competition? And would that ma- does competition make the industry healthier? Absolutely, 100%. I would love for more students to be learning shoes. When I came through in 2000, 2001, I graduated Mass University. I had to get my lecturers to talk them into letting me base my assignments on shoes when all the rest of the class would do clothes because you can't study footwear in New Zealand. I ended up studying in England in my second year through a scholarship. So if there was any way that we could have more opportunities for footwear to become more of a design, um, and I was saying to Belinda, it's not obviously when I graduated 2001, there was no manufacturing here, unfortunately. I went to a footwear AGM board meeting and said, I'm going to be New Zealand's next name in shoes and who wants to hire me and I'll sweep your floors and you know, I want to do an apprenticeship. And all my heroes of industry who had manufactured in New Zealand for 30, 40 years just said, pick another career. It's like dire, it's all moving offshore. But I think telling a 22-year-old that was good because it made me even more hungry to prove them wrong. Um, and saying that I had to think outside the square, great, I'll learn Italian. I'll, um, you know, like Maggie was talking about Skyping at midnight. It's just what it is. So I think now there's a new direction in terms of tertiary education that it could, you know, you're not necessarily learning how to welt the stitch the soles on. It's more around how do you communicate your designs on paper and get that up into a CAD drawing and, and wherever it's Italy, Spain, Portugal, we make our shoes in five different countries at the moment. So, What Catherine has battled with for so long is especially from a negative point of view, consumers saying, you know, you make offshore, whether or not that's Portugal or China, they're saying, why don't you make here? The education is not there, that there is no resource for Catherine to make her footwear in New Zealand, and that's not her fault. And, of course, all of our students want to come through being rock star designers. You know, I remember someone from a local label run by three guys, and one of them said to me early on, fashion designers are the new rock stars. And I thought... Yeah, good luck. But that, that tells me why you're in this industry, because, you know, you want to be at the parties, you want to be the DJ, you want to be, you know, the denim guy. And that's awesome. But what we don't have is a depth of pattern makers, sewers, craftspeople, which Belinda and even AUT, they're always telling us everyone wants to be the rock star designer, which is great. And we need rock star designers, but we also need makers and 
to hassle designers about making offshore without understanding the breadth or depth or lack thereof of our industry. We live in a little fashion bubble where we know everything about the whole thing and consumer down the bottom of the country just wants a cheap pair of shoes. Then you can't hassle the guys for not making the stuff offshore. That was Murray Bevan. You've also heard Belinda Watt from Whitecliffe College of Arts and Design and shoe designer Catherine Wilson. That was part of a panel on the future of fashion. Special thanks to Fashion NZ and New Zealand Fashion Week for making the panel possible. Next week, Perry Drysdale from Untouched World shares the story behind building a lifestyle brand and being sustainable ahead of her time. If you'd like to listen again or to find out more, head to the RNZ website and look for My Heels Are Killing Me or head to Podbean, Stitcher, Radio Public or wherever you get your podcasts. Catch you soon. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.